0: Hey, this is Ryan Chapman with Fix Your Funnel, and in today's How to Fix Your Funnel podcast, we're actually going to be talking about a very important topic—that is the money, right? How do we how do we get the money? And frequently in today's market, especially if we're using a product like Infusionsoft, we're collecting that money through a merchant account. Um, If we're using something like Shopify, maybe we're using Shopify Payments or something like that, or Square or Stripe or a number of different um, options that are available out there. But all of these have different advantages and disadvantages. And today our guest is Tyler Chapman. He's actually a very close relative of mine. He's my brother. Um, I'm number one of 13. Tyler is number 10 of 13. Right, Tyler? That's
1: right. Number 10.
0: Number 10. So actually, I was out of the house by the time Tyler was... Um, talking. So we actually never got to live together, but we we're still very close. In fact, Tyler worked for my company, uh, Fix Your Funnel, back when he was 18. So a long time ago, but we gave him a little bit of uh, mm-hmm. knowledge and experience back then. And now he's working for a big, large corporation, one which he is not allowed to disclose, because we're going to be talking about some pretty sensitive information about merchant accounts. So I'm not allowed to give any more clues than that, even though I'm I'm very highly tempted to... <laughs> So for the sake of Tyler's okay. ongoing employment and, and career, we will not disclose him. That's right. So, Tyler, okay. w- when it comes to merchant accounts, I mean, for many people, at least my experience has been that when I got the merchant account, it seemed like the person setting up the merchant account was much more interested in um, getting the account set up than explaining to me things that I needed to know in order to protect my own business, as well as to understand, you know, how they were going to be acting as a merchant, and unfortunately, for many people, they don't learn exactly how merchant accounts work until something's gone terribly wrong. Right. So, what are yeah. some things that you feel like um, businesses should know about merchants, like these processing companies, <clears throat> to better understand how they can protect themselves while also respecting the fact that there's risk that the merchant um processing company takes on as well.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's that that'd be a great place to start, Rain. Um, when you look at it from a from a perspective of of just the business, I think you miss out on, on understanding what's expected now in your relationship when you're when you're getting an account to be in processing credit cards, right? Sometimes you look at it as hey, I'm paying you a percentage fee or I'm paying you a monthly fee with a percentage fee. Just give me my money and, you know, don't ask any questions about it. But in reality, there's a lot more depth to it on the merchant account side. There's a lot of sometimes strict requirements that if they're violated even unknowingly by the merchant, you as a business, you can lose the ability to process transactions and be down a few days, which for, for a lot of us is, is a pretty big deal. So yeah, let's definitely talk about, let's just start there and talk about some of the, the risks that a merchant service provider is taking on, right? And then understand why then there's some requirements that they're they're, they're laying out for you. So in the credit card process, Ryan, when you, when you sell a product or a service online and a, and a, a customer comes there and makes that purchase from you, the, the merchant service provider, they're helping facilitate that communications with the customer's bank, and then they make sure everything checks out there. They're sometimes, in, depending on the security settings you'd like them to put in place, they'll verify the billing address, the card code, and do the checks there to make sure everything looks good for you to help prevent any potential fraud from hitting you guys as a business. Now once they've done that side of things, they're gonna go ahead and settle out that those transactions at the end of the day and say, hey, banks, go ahead and hand over that money that we got authorized with you earlier today. And then they help facilitate then the funding of those transactions into your bank account. A lot of merchant service providers do next day funding. Some might take three or four days, just depending upon your setup with that, that provider that's a big, a big thing to keep in mind is they're the ones touching the money and moving the money around and as a result of that they're taking on some risk and let's touch on that risk let's take an example where you provide a product or a service and either it's someone fraudulently stole a card to purchase the product or service or the person was unhappy with the service or product or just, just for the heck of it they decided to do a charge back against your business now, so it's something that every business owner almost has dealt with at one point or another, some more than others, right? And a chargeback essentially means the customer's bank is now, and sometimes, well, I won't say that. Customer's bank is going to go ahead and talk to the merchant service provider and say, hey, hand over the money for this transaction. The customer is disputing it. The merchant service provider regardless of, of how legitimate the dispute is or not, has to immediately hand over the money out of their own bank account, right? And you as the merchant may not even be aware of this during this whole process while tapping the first initial day or two. The merchant service provider then, of course, after handing over whether it be $50 or $1,000 or more, whatever the, the amount in the dispute is, they hand over that money, and now they're, they're gonna be reaching out to the business saying, "Hey." chargeback is happened we want to take money out of your bank account first off to cover it and now you have to deal with providing us the documentation we need to help essentially fight this with you and show the issuing bank that no, the merchant is in the right go ahead and return the funds back to the business. So that's the chargeback process and a very overviewed, just perspective on it. With that whole process happening as you can see Ryan, there's a possible risk factor there for the merchant service provider if they go to your bank account and try to get that money, and you don't have the funds to cover the chargeback. So that's a huge risk factor. Sometimes merchant service providers do things like setting limits on how large your, a single transaction can be. Right. So if you're going to sell a $1,500 product, you have to be approved from the get-go with your merchant service provider for that amount. Okay. If you're not... <clears throat>
0: So let me, let me interrupt real quick for a second there just to tie this all in for people that maybe haven't been through this experience. So yeah. in, in the event that um, something's not going right, the merchant can just basically the, – the merchant account services provider can basically shut down your, your merchant account and just say, okay, you don't get the charge anymore, which essentially for credit card-based um, businesses – businesses that primarily take their money electronically, that puts you out of business Mm -hmm. right there. So it would be the equivalent of someone Mm -hmm. just stealing your bank account for those days or whatever. So that's a pretty big deal. Yeah, it would be a pretty big deal. Now, normally merchants don't do that unless there's something really funky going on. More typically what they'll do is they'll start to uh, implement their risk management rules, right, which say... Right. if you're billing $10,000 a day, we're going to take a percentage of that and set it aside for 6 months as a protection right. against these chargeback opportunities. But there are things that have to trigger that that's not normally done by default. By default normally, you know, some if you know someone is going to pay you via credit card, $1,000, they're going to give you that $1,000 minus their percentage and fees, right? Mhm. But right. but there are things that can trigger um, risk management rules inside of a, a merchant processing provider that will say, oh, we got to start holding funds. And some merchant uh, processing providers are better than others about communicating when those risk management right. rules are put into place. Right? That, that's a, that, that's right. So let, let's touch on that
1: now. Um, kind of a good transition. And So chargebacks one scenario that can trigger them to initiate. Um, risk management where they'll say "Hey, we're going to do a risk reserve and we're going to have basically we're going to hold a certain percentage of your funds and we're going to keep it in reserve on our side so if there's ever a dispute or chargeback we have your money on file basically that we can use to cover it, not out of our own pocket Right? so that's how they're creating a cushion to protect themselves, the merchant service provider, from potential loss in the event that there is a, a large portion of your, your business coming back as
0: initial fraud or chargebacks. So Tyler, real quick, before you go into number two, which I'm imagining is going to be if you exceed your limits. The funding holds, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, before you go into that, I mean, chargebacks happen with any business because there's always somebody that misunderstands what they bought. And, yeah. and, and obviously, I think from a business perspective, most people would say, well, you know, most of those are illegitimate. You know, I actually provided mm-hmm. what I promised and all that. There's no guarantee that you're never going to have a chargeback just because you provide great service, no. deliver, you know, really committed to the customer. Mm-hmm. Chargebacks are going to happen to everybody. So merchant processing providers don't automatically implement reserve rules just because you have chargebacks, do they? No,
1: no, no that's a valid claim. everyone's going to deal with chargebacks, and there's not really any requirements from these customers' banks saying, hey, do you have any reason to issue a chargeback? Then. I mean, is just do you believe you know they can say it's, they believe it's fraud or they didn't get the profit of services, and banks don't lose anything by doing a chargeback necessarily, so they'll go out and act on that. That being said, um, no, a, a risk reserve wouldn't be necessarily, you know, started at that point. It's when you start to have a certain percentage of your business when it's starting to crawl up. There were a percentage of your business is now chargebacks, right? If they say, hey, is, there, your business has is, back.
0: is there a percentage that the um, merchant service provider will let the cust, you know, the customer being the business, right? Will they let them know, hey, here our policy is if you get to this percentage of your transactions that are chargebacks, then we're going to look at implementing the, the risk mm-hmm. reserves or is that something that's hidden close to the chest or what do they do?
1: You, you, they, they may not stay straight out like you mentioned when I mean, you're setting up an account sometimes you got to be proactive and ask these questions just to understand uh, and so you may want to touch base with to them and say hey just help me understand what the percentage what what, what percent would you guys start to implement for risk reserve and the sales rep will won't be able to answer that for you they'll send you over to their risk or underwriting team so maybe does
0: that inside. like I would be concerned that that would raise a red flag with them like well, why are they worried about it you sure. know sure it's like, right. hey, do you guys have cameras showing, you know, where you keep the money?
1: Right. <laughs> it's like, right. what are you doing, right. casing but, us or what? Well, and that, that, that's valid. That. And I think it's just explaining that you just want to make sure that you don't, you want to make sure you understand everything about your merchant account that it would prevent any potential loss. And I mean, I, I get those questions, frankly, somewhat often on a, on a day-to-day basis. For people wanting to Okay, so it's a pretty common question have, people
0: had, are asking. Experience. So it's not really causing for you any red flags just because somebody asked that question. Not
1: necessarily. Especially when it's prospective merchant, I want to help them understand. And if they are an existing merchant, we definitely want to help them understand.
0: And okay. I, I think so where is this, if you
1: go over on this
0: where it really becomes an issue for businesses is when you're either starting, when money is, you know, every dime counts, mm-hmm. right? Or you're in a, a high growth phase where you're you're very lean on cash flow, um, or or you're doing high transaction amounts where you know just a few of those swinging back can can cause a cash flow issue. So in those scenarios, if you find your business in that scenario, and now I'm talking to the listener right now, of course you want to make sure that you are aware of what are the the things that are going to kick in reserves now frequently because you don't know to ask these questions, and honestly most. Uh, merchant providers aren 't really forthcoming with that you know they want to keep the focus on our rates you know or some other benefit you know the turnaround time and getting that money into your account, which is all great and good when you 're first getting started. but you, once you you start establishing a business, I mean I know that personally when we, we had our training company back in two thousand seven two thousand eight we had grown very quickly we didn 't even know these questions or comments to ask so we didn 't even know when we had kicked into you know, exceeding our limits and stuff. 'Cause we've grown so quickly. But I do remember the day that we got a call from American Express saying, hey, we're about to release the sixty thousand we've been holding on to for six months because your your chargebacks haven't, you know, they've been good. And I was like, what is that about? You know? And fortunately we were in a good cash flow position that it didn't hurt us, but that very easily could have been devastating to a company to have sixty thousand dollars. I've heard of two hundred, three hundred, four hundred thousand being held and when, when I talk about holding, a lot of people don't think of PayPal as a in the same you know genre as maybe a Wells Fargo or you know a Chase Bank in terms of merchant processing. But your you're, uh PayPal, your Stripe, your your Square, all of these companies that accept credit cards and then give you money for those payments. All of them fall under the same basic structure in terms of risk that they they have, and then risk that they need to protect. So being aware of this is really important. So that's number one is chargebacks. That's the 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 first thing that can trigger these risk management concerns for uh, merchant processing service providers. But what's the other one?
1: Yeah, and then and then like you were mentioning though that there there's these these monthly limits that they impose as well as a per-transaction limit. So if they, when, you, when you're approved for an account, in fact, when you apply, for example, with our company on the application, that's one of the first things we ask is, how much do you plan on processing within a month dollar volume, right? And how much are you planning on, how much do you plan as being the average transaction amount? And then how much is the largest transaction amount? Now, it's important that with these numbers, and, and maybe you already have an account and you're, you're scratching your head wondering, I don't really have a clue what I wrote for that or what the limits are be good to find out, because we use those numbers pretty, we, we take you for, at your word, when you say, hey, I'm only gonna be processing $20,000 a month. Okay, good, we're gonna set that limit at 20000 And then if you say, well, I do, uh, I think the largest will be $1,000, but occasionally I might have a, a $2,000 transaction, but that's so so rare and in between, I'll just say 1000 is my largest. Well, we're gonna take you at, at your word, for 1000 and if we ever see process anything over 1000 that transaction, the funds for that transaction will be put on hold. And we'll go ahead and send out an email to you requesting more information about that transaction. Now, okay. uh, it seems like an old way of doing it, right? I'm sending an email, right?
0: Right, so if they do that. Money, though.
1: Expect a phone call.
0: Yeah. Because I've, I've, I've seen the where. There. they just shoot an email. We don't even necessarily know which email address that we used on the application because sometimes you maybe used your personal one because you don't have your business stuff set up yet, something like that. And so things can get lost in the shuffle. So I would I would oh, say, Tyler, right. based on what you're sharing right here, that it would be critical, number one, for you to always know what your limits are that you stated to your, your merchant processing company and then laminate those and post them up next to your computer or yeah. wherever you check your bank account, bank. right? Yeah. And I would yeah. maybe even make your accountant aware of it and say, "Hey, trigger this for me," or you know, do something set up some sort of process so that as you are approaching yeah. these limits, or if you have a transaction that's so over, everybody on your team that's involved in processing uh, amounts is aware of what your limits are on your your account because. We can't blame uh-huh. the the company, like you know, it's like they say, you can't blame the cat for being a cat. You know, the cat is going to right. get, sneak into stuff; it's going to get stuff. You can't be mad because it, it acts like a cat. The merchant uh, account processing service provider, whatever we call them, I really am not right. sure yet at this point. But what, that company is going to be very consistently who they are. Now they may not communicate really well, which can create a bad reputation for them in the market. I know one that that yeah. we used for a long time. Um, it has changed its name like eight times in, in the last eight years. Right. Probably because it's got a bad reputation, and it's probably just sure. simply because they haven't communicated clearly with their customers. Here's your limits. If you guys are getting right. close to those, we need to know. Or maybe even doing a preemptive right. call-out. Now, the reality is, and this is, again, I'm talking to you as a business owner, you guys need to remember that you can't count on your merchant processing company to care about your business more than you do. And because of that, you have to keep a close eye on these, these two numbers, which is monthly total and maximum transaction amount. And what you right. need to be aware of is what those are for your, your merchant account so that you don't exceed those. And if you think you're gonna need more, what do they do, Tyler? Is are they just out of luck or Well, that's a great question.
1: Well, that's that's where we with existing accounts, right? Underwriting, they're the ones who will review those numbers that you're requesting initially. And if you're a brand new business, you have a process a day in your life and you say you want $100,000 a month, they're probably going to ask you to be realistic and maybe ask, hey, can you tell us why you want that amount? Give us some more reasons, right? But after you're approved, say you've been processing for some time and, and you're coming up on those limits, that's the opportunity for you to reach out to your merchant service provider and they say, oh, let's put you in touch with the risk department or they may even have a form that they just have you fill out and say, here's what I want my new limits to be. Basically, up to right. I think a really critical way to think of your merchant account, like those these limits, is like a, a line of credit essentially. Right, with your credit card, they, they review they do an underwriting and a review of your of you as the applicant, and then they approve you at a certain amount based off of the information you provide. It's it's very similar with the merchant account. So if you have an existing account, and you have a history with them. And they see, hey, you know this guy is processing a hundred thousand, or three hundred thousand, or four hundred thousand a month. You know they're coming close to that limit. It's not unrealistic to think they're going to exceed that. Let's go ahead and pump, you know bump it up for them to what they're requesting now. That's that's some, that's something that we should use in our mentality when we're approaching our merchant service provider about how to really keep things within the limits that we want with them. Again, it seems so silly because it seems like it's such a small portion of your business and you're paying them a percentage of everything you make. But uh, again, these are critical mistakes that I I hear time and time again on a daily basis. People call us up and say, hey, I didn't know My old provider just shut me down out of the blue and said, go find someone else. And now they can't process payments, right? So it's as, 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 as insignificant as it seems. It's so critical at the same time.
0: How, how do um, merchant service providers feel about having multiple merchant accounts, like with different companies?
1: Um, that's something that, if it's for the same business, they, that's not, that's not um, that's frowned upon, I'll, I'll say that much. I, I don't know the legal rules behind that, Ryan, but if they see that you have an, an account with someone else, um, they'll probably shut down an account with them. Because, again, how they, how they look at that is, you know, say so they, they prove you for $100,000. Well, if you try to get another account for another $100,000, you just have all these accounts. It, it can be viewed as potential, it, it can raise some red flags and be. So, the no concern, concern for
0: the, the, the merchant service provider is that their liability is different from what they expect it to be if they have just a single account they're dealing with. Because the same bank right. account yeah. could be associated with. Three or two or three merchant accounts, and if one of those suddenly has some big issues and then drains the account, they can't really account for that in their underwriting the same way they can if they're the only account.
1: And, and another factor on top of that, Ryan, is the credit card industry, right? Visa, MasterCard, American Express, and discover these big names. They set the rules, essentially. So if you have a merchant account you're getting a lot of chargebacks for that one one account. The reason why that percentage is critical is if they say that you're going over a certain percentage of all your transactions and chargebacks, then Visa, MasterCard, and American Express together, both of you MasterCard, will work together on that. They'll say, hey, you know what? This business has exceeded that percentage. No one's allowed to give them a merchant account. They're not allowed to take our card type anymore. So it's really important that...
0: So you're saying it's at the 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 Visa, MasterCard, American American Express level that they're dictating uh, some of those restrictions on
1: some of those rules I, mean, I don't know all the rules on it right so I wouldn't, I wouldn't really say for sure and I don't want to say yes or no to that whether you can or can't have multiple merchant accounts I do not yeah. I do know that there have been some legal actions taken on, on businesses that have multiple merchant accounts so I'd say you'd want to do a little more research and, and investigate that so the long and, and short of it is question.
0: whoever controls the money gets to make all the rules so that's right sucks to be us. All right. right. Let's move on to another point. Um, this will be very specific to Shopify, right? So Shopify has its own payment processing gateway that that they have incorporated into their platform. But sometimes, uh, maybe because people didn't pay attention to the – is it? Do you, I don't know if you know about the specifics of their situation, but are they following the same kind of process where you can find out, you know, what's my – my maximum transaction my, ma- my maximum per month and, and then communicate with them on that or are they being a little more dynamic about that and again i'm sorry for putting you on the spot you may not know the answer to that question but if you did
1: i um, not positive i imagine they follow the same procedure though when you're applying that you dictate to them the documents that you need that that seems pretty standard for every merchant service provider so they can know what to prove you at okay. um, and then and then with shopify one of the it's a great, it's a great setup because not only are you getting your shopping cart and the whole service there, but they make it simple because it's kind of all put into one package. And ideally, I think you you wouldn't be running into the issue where Shopify says, "Hey, you know what? We can't do Shopify payments with you, but you can keep your Shopify and use someone else." But I think that scenario usually will come up if you're exceeding limits, maybe so you have a chargeback problem. I think the third the third point, Ryan, that we'll bring up here this is again applicable to every merchant service provider but in particular that's your Shopify is if your your business model or business the products you're selling that they're considered higher risk
0: okay so that's and interesting I, I so wanna, there are categories yeah. of products or services that are considered higher risk because of their history in the marketplace
1: mm-hmm. that's exactly right
0: is there a way that somebody can know oh, before yeah. they're starting to create a business if they're going into a higher risk uh, industry that's either going to be more expensive for them or more challenging?
1: Yeah, you know, it's hard to it's hard to say there's one list. I, I've got a few lists that I reference when I'm dealing with with our merchants, right, that are signing up with us because depending upon the merchant service provider and just a whole whole, whole array of factors, right, marketing in general, right, could be considered high risk. Obviously, that's well, that's part of your business is you're providing marketing tools and, and products, and it's just not a whole lot of other services, right? But just because you're in an industry does not necessarily mean you're high risk, but it certainly just it is one more thing they're going to look closer at. So it'd be hard to say. I'd recommend if you're you're looking to start a business, I'd recommend just giving a phone call out to a couple providers and discussing your business type and, and model and just see if they have any concerns. But, uh, but so I would I you ask uh, you
0: know, is this considered a higher risk industry or do I have anything mm-hmm. to worry about there? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Just well, give a call and just say, Hey, I just want
1: to make sure this isn't considered high risk. So then what I would I would recommend them, to, to people an
0: idea. is just Google out there um, high risk merchant account types or something like that. And if they can find those mm-hmm. lists, or do you do you think you could share a couple links with us after, like put in the show notes?
1: Um I'll look and see if that's I can share, in for sure. Oh, those I'll internal documents, in maybe? Okay. Well, <laughs> again, we don't and, want and, to put... And I'd it, be happy to give some resources there.
0: We don't want to put Travis or Tyler... Sorry, Tyler. Tyler's, uh... That's
1: number, that's number 11, Ryan. I'm number 10. Yes, that's right. Getting the names there. Um, Mike, yeah, that's Ask mine. my kids about well, that experience. I'll, I'll, I'll verify on that, and I'll, I'll let you know for sure. Yeah, okay, cool. But going back to... to, to sh- to Shopify on on that point, right? It's really really just a matter of communicating that with them as well. Shopify, if you're gonna be using their platform, reach out to them and just kind of verify, hey, is this a business model that Shopify's okay with? Because they'll know exactly what business models they do and don't support, right? And, and that's a good place to start, I think, for anyone. So, so this I might be able to provide might not be applicable to
0: Shopify. I think frequently when this kind of thing happens, when either your merchant account is shut down, or if you're like on Shopify and the Shopify store says, "Sorry, that's not going to work anymore," it, the the <clears throat> natural reaction for most people is to be angry. You know, they're angry, they're upset, they're you know, <clears throat> they even have some post-traumatic stress disorder from the experience because suddenly what they thought was the least of their concerns is the, the greatest of their concerns. So I just I, that's the the main reason I wanted to do this podcast episode is I won't really want people to be aware of how these these entities work so that you can work with them to prevent these kind of problems because most of these problems are preventable. Probably the only one that's not you know if you can't change your business model would be if your business model is a high risk one and they sure. get shut down. But even in that scenario, there are different merchants that have different levels of risk tolerance, and so. You can find those that are specialized for those industries. And if you're using something like Shopify, you can actually plug in a different merchant into Shopify besides the default one that they have. Now, they're, Shopify is going to charge an extra 2% on top of that. But, you know, considering the platform and all the benefits you get out of it, it may be worth it still. So I can't say one way or the other, but that's something to be aware of. Now, I my personal opinion, and Tyler, I'd love to hear what you think about this, but my personal opinion on um, some things like PayPal – And, um, you know, systems like that where they are storing all the credit card data for you and they're kind of controlling. um, There's not a lot of mobility in that kind of scenario. So, like, my personal preference when it comes to, like, Infusionsoft is I always want my credit card and payment information to actually be stored inside of my own database um, of course, I want my database to be secure so that I'm you know protecting people's data and everything. But you know in that scenario, I want to keep my, my um, credit card data for my customers in my own database, meaning something I have control over versus something somebody else has control over. And that's one of my issues with platforms specifically like PayPal is that they are reserving all of the the control and it puts you in a very uh, one-sided relationship if you don't have that that payment information stored on your side, especially if you're in a recurring uh, transaction business where maybe people come back and buy from you frequently and they like to use a card on file or in a subscription-based business like I am where people, you know, you're charging their card on a periodic basis based on their instructions and your agreement with them. So, sure. in that kind of scenario, it's very dangerous, in my opinion, to be heavily on on that side of using something like PayPal. Now, I would imagine though the same rules apply with PayPal as they do with any other merchant service, being that you want to keep in communication yeah. with them if you can. I, I don't know how PayPal does communication because I never really got attracted to them as a, a provider. But you want to keep I'm not sure you want to keep clear on your transaction limits. Um, both monthly and maximum single transaction, and you want to be paying attention to that. But let, So with all that being said, I don't want to beat that dead horse too much for the sake of time. What are some other areas that people should be paying attention to when they're looking at a merchant account? I mean, obviously, there's the percentage, right? Sometimes that gets more attention than it should because reliability of getting your money and speed of getting your money is probably even more important than a percentage point. Honestly, mm-hmm. having run businesses well, that have done over a million a year, yes, the percentage can add up. But if you don't get your money, or they're holding it, or they're not communicating well, or you know any of those other factors, those can you know the best rate with the worst customer support isn't worth it. So, what are some other areas where people pay that they may not be aware that they pay as they use merchant services? Well, uh, we can touch on I guess two points there. was with- let's.
1: With- We'll use Shopify payments as an example because it's very similar to Stripe and, and uh, Square and Authorize.net. These companies, right, that have, you sign up with them, they have an all-in-one plan in many regards. They charge you this 2.9%. And you'll see that a lot. It's pretty standard for online transactions. What that is is that's the fixed rate where they say, hey, we're going to charge you this across the board, whether it's a, a debit card or if it's a rewards card. In reality, though, if you get a merchant account with, say, a bank, sometimes they'll offer you um, rates where cha- they're charging you interchanges, what it's called, right? And so you could be getting for your debit card transactions in the 1% to low 2% range. And then for credit cards that have rewards programs associated with it, you the a business get to, get to pay for that, right? So that usually costs a little bit more and can climb up.
0: So it could be usually like 4
1: or 5%. Much, percent.
0: 3%. Oh, okay. So
1: what's better? 3.2, 3.3 probably is where you'd find yourself. That's a good question. Ryan, I never use my debit card online, so it could be just better for you to have the 2.9% fixed rate, but it'd really depend on your history, transaction, transacting history as a business. That's maybe something for all your, your listeners to do is just look at what rate they're paying across the board. I have monthly statement, look at you know what are they paying total on the percentage point Maybe they're a little bit above three percent right now, paying for the fluctuating amounts right versus um, rewards program, and then also the different, you know, there's unqualified, and qualified, and mid-qualified. All these tiered pricing plans that a lot of your, a lot of the listeners will have, mm-hmm. they might look at switching to a plan that is a fixed two point nine rate. But then others who are on a fixed two point nine rate might actually benefit from switching to a tiered plan. Or just depending upon what card types commonly being used by your.
0: Your is there a way for you um, to know if, getting into the... <laughs> if you're on a fixed rate already? I mean, is there a way for you to take that information and go shop it around, so to speak, to find out if you're getting the the right deal?
1: Yeah, usually your merchant service provider will send out the statements in the mail, and you, you'll be able to look over those statements, and it should have a lot of those details on it. Um, if you really look at look at what the the fluctuating rates are. Okay. I mean, one thing to keep in mind is Visa, MasterCard, Visa alone, I think they have about 120 different potential programs that a card can be enrolled in, which means little fees popping up here and there on every single you know, transaction. You just want to pay attention to that and, and shop around with your different providers to see who's able to, to kind of out, out to the next guy in that regard.
0: Okay, so how much do you need to be doing like a, a year before your fee difference really is making much difference i mean it could be the difference between like a taco bell meal and a chipotle meal right mm-hmm. if that's your difference per month it really probably isn't worth much of your time to be investing in you know <clears throat> doing all that research so at what point do you think that the the transaction amount says okay maybe you should be paying more attention to your fees
1: I don't think so much as just the single transaction amount, as much as the total dollar volume that you're doing in a month or a year, right? Right. Whereas you're thinking. processing, right? I think okay. that's what you meant by that. So I mean, you just run the math. If, if a if a percentage point is going to make a big difference to you, whether it's the hundreds of dollars or thousands of dollars, I just talked to a guy the other day. He he was paying about three point five percent, but didn't know it just because we had to look over the statement together. Right, and then I just got him onto a simplified plan. He ended up saving several thousand dollars a month. He felt like a winner, right? He just saved his company several thousand dollars a month. So,
0: how much was he doing annually or monthly?
1: He was, um, I think, she's was about two hundred to three hundred thousand um, dollars in volume every month. Okay, So, so right, once you're so
0: over, you once you're
1: numbers. starting to approach that million <laughs> mark. A half a percentage point to be saving a few thousand dollars and that's how much you're processing
0: okay. whatever the math is on that yeah so just i think if you're listening to this call if you have action items it's one of course if you already have a merchant account go find out what your your limits are so that you're aware of when you need to be communicating with them then two go ahead and take a look at your rates that you're paying and go see you know if a half a percentage point would make a huge difference or a significant difference that would be worth your time to investigate because you got to figure it's going to take some hours, right, to contact, go through, review, and get some feedback from people. So it'll take you know a few days and a few hours, you know, of time to process, you know, go through and, and check that out. You know, one of the other places that I'm always confused about is also these per transaction fees. So you're, I mean, the obvious part is the, the rate, right? I'm going to pay, you know, two point nine percent fixed. Let's say. What about these other per transaction fees and do, are those typically charged on the transaction if it's successful or not? Because sometimes we have failed transactions that occur, right? So do failed transactions incur fees typically? Do successful, Do if you do a refund... Are the fees refunded or is that just you're out that as well? Because like someone says, oh, 100% money back guarantee. Somebody buys something for $100. I'm going to pay my 2.9%, which is you know $2.90, right? And then I'm going to pay my, my transaction fee. But when I refund that, I'm going to refund the full 100 if I were to do a refund. So that full refund is actually costing me some money. How how does someone figure out what those are? And also, for companies Mm -hmm. that maybe do small transactions, should they not be doing super small transactions? Should they find ways to group those transactions so that they're a little bit bigger so that the fees don't eat them alive? Mm -hmm. What's the per-transaction fee situation? There's a lot to cover
1: there, Ryan, that you kind of went into, but um, maybe just touching on the point about the... um, the gotta gotta find my find my find my uh, point here. The uh, funding of the uh, transact the uh, I think you said at the very beginning. I can just Transaction that point, fees to run with if it's successful
0: or it. if it's not successful.
1: Yes, that was uh, that was it. So on the refund, even so when you're when you're processing in the end the you've already paid a, you know your percentage, whether it be two point nine or one of the other fluctuating rates. Mm-hmm if you're sure a refund, no, no merchant service providers that I'm aware of, and I think that's pretty safe to say, no merchant service providers will charge an additional percentage when you refund the transaction. Now, some, I have heard of some saying, oh yeah, we'll give you back the 2.9%. It's very unlikely and very uncommon, but I have heard some providers quote that and say that's something that they're willing and able to do. I just haven't actually seen it in action. Now, that being said, you, you will only typically pay that 2.9 or that whatever that rate is once, don't refund. You don't have to worry about anything other than the per transaction rate of maybe twenty cents or ten cents or whatever it is that your provider is giving you. Um, on on a smaller transaction, that's a, that's a good question. With a a one dollar transaction, where a lot of people are selling these smaller um, smaller items. You know, they look at a, a, a thirty cent transaction fee as thirty percent of their you know their 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 um, their sale. So that one that one can be a little bit trickier there, and that's what I that's what I'd recommend you. Discuss that with your merchant service provider because what they'll look at is how many transactions are you running a month, right? If you're doing maybe over two to three thousand a month, maybe that's a good starting point. Going from there, that's when they usually can really push that per transaction amount um,
0: a lot further down. Okay, so, um, so those that's are those another
1: that we can look at there.
0: That's another amount that they'll ask you is how many transactions per month, and if you're not sure, you could be shooting yourself in the foot. You know, or if you, mm-hmm. if you don't state that properly, like if you're transitioning from one merchant account to another, it's really important that mm-hmm. you have that amount, right? Because that, that amount could save you quite a bit then. Well,
1: we do the math, we do the math for you and we ask you what the average transaction size is and what do you plan to process in a month. We just do the division there and, and find out well, what's the average trend, number of transactions they're doing in a month. That way we can kind of know in advance what to anticipate. Mm-hmm. And how to really help retain you as a potential business by saying, oh, you're doing a lot of a lot of transactions, maybe they're smaller, but a lot of transactions is good for us. too we'll go ahead and bring that per transaction amount down a little bit. Right? So those are things to, from a sales side that we'll look at. but then on, on their side your, your side of the business, you want to just make sure, yeah, you understand that yourself that you can potentially get better rates on that front as well. Okay, very With that good. Being said, I think we
0: covered a lot of the big points yeah there's um, just one last question that I had which was on you know so someone comes to your website they do a transaction but it fails for some reason is is there typically a fee charged for the failure
1: there's a pro transaction fee charge a, a decline transaction fee and and that, that doesn't incur the percentage fee it's just a transaction fee so it might be 10 cents it might be 30 cents their, okay,
0: so if somebody uh, keeps screwing up their their credit card number or mm-hmm. their address, billing address. That in theory could end up costing you if they're doing that. I know I've heard. Uh, it, of, it yeah, uh, I know I've heard of people where you know they get targeted by a hacking group and the hacking group starts trying to check stolen credit cards through their order form. Right. And I know I talked to you about the, this before. The Yeah, Yeah,
1: and that's just something you want to be aware of.
0: Are there protections for the actual merchant when they're a victim of this kind of thing, or are they used as the punching bag by the merchant service providers?
1: Um, Merchant service providers see that, and they'll they'll probably shut you down if you're getting enough chargebacks, because they view that as your responsibility to secure your site. So whether you're going through a payment gateway, um, which communicates with merchant service providers, or using Shopify payments, or any one of these payment processors out there, you're going to want to look at what fraud prevention tools are going to give you, whether it be the ability to check and block IP addresses, the ability to set a daily transaction limit or an hourly transaction limit, or you might say a single IP address can't try more than three times. Now, if they can't get their card right three times, I'm going to block them. or something okay, like that so sort. Those tools are out there.
0: That's almost another like that. episode, Tyler, to talk about all the fraud protection tools that you need to be aware of. So you basically, yeah. just to sum it up for the people, though, on this podcast, because I know that we're running out of time with you, um, the long and short of it is you should uh, be communicating with whoever your representative is at your merchant account provider and talk to them about what are the fraud prevention tools, what are some things I should know to protect myself. Because frequently what happens is we're so focused on just getting the thing open so we can start making money and you know, start you know, running our business, or if we're transitioning You know, we're thinking about, okay, I just want to get the better rate. I want to get the, you know, maybe better customer service, you know, those kind of things. And we're rarely thinking about the things that could go wrong because you don't think about that until it happens to you. So you you would recommend... Taking that time with your representative to say, okay, what are my fraud prevention tools so that I don't become a victim of some of these fraud scams that go on? Yeah, you know, I know. I reached out uh-huh. to you when somebody who was a customer of ours got caught up in one of these through her Infusionsoft web form, where uh-huh. they had like 9,000 transactions run overnight that were just basically checking a uh-huh. credit card to see if it was legitimate. The people uh-huh. weren't trying to order or anything like that. And through that process, she incurred you know thousands of dollars in fees, just right. from transaction fees on the unsuccessful ones. Then we have all the ones that are going to be subject to chargebacks you know, that were not successful. And then maybe in between all those were some real transactions. And so it really puts the business owner at this huge disadvantage of having to clean up a huge mess that has nothing to do with their business or how they were operating as mm-hmm. a business, but because they didn't know about the fraud prevention tools that were available to them and didn't have them set up in place which you know yeah. again i i think someone leaving this conversation might go oh my i've got all these new things i got to pay attention to but i would say just have a conversation with your your merchant account and ask about fraud prevention tools get to know what your limits are number of transactions that you, they're estimating so you know if you can maybe negotiate a cheaper fee on your per transaction fee, and then pay attention to your limits so that you can be proactively communicating with your merchant service provider so that you make sure that you don't get caught up in the risk uh, management rules that get triggered automatically when these, these limits get um, hit. And understand that, Tyler, is it true that your track record actually does help you? So if you've got this track record of doing really well for a long time, that you can go and say, hey, I need my limits raised, and they're more likely to raise them.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's part of the underwriting process or the risk review process. They're going to want to look at your statements and your history. So, so it's the a more lot history like you have, your, this is make make your
0: credit money. history for accepting money as a business. Mm-hmm. So the longer that you go of taking it and keeping your your chargebacks in check, then the better you're going to be. So try and look at your customer experience. Try and see. I mean, we've all made mistakes. I know we have. Um, you know, Occasionally we have somebody that will do chargebacks and they feel very justified in them and you know, we'd we much rather refund people than have them do chargebacks. So, you know, that, that's what my team is generally taught. Sometimes even my team will make mistakes and they'll do the wrong thing. And then, you know, we have to deal with the chargeback. But, you know, there's things that you can do. And doing those things will protect your ability to be able to accept money electronically, which is a huge deal in today's society. So, Tyler, thank, thank you, you so much for joining us. Um, if you have any closing words, we'll give you that, the last word. But uh, really do appreciate you making time. I know you didn't get to eat lunch because of
1: this. <laughs> no, I appreciate it. I, I, I think that you, you hit it on the head. It's really a one, one phone call can save you a lot. So I, I'd recommend that to, to all the listeners. Maybe take, it, take it some time out of your schedule to give, them, give your merchant service provider, or your payment gateway, a call, or just doing your payment process. Give them a call and, and maybe ask some of these questions and have this discussion just to get a better understanding about your account, where you're at, and, and um, better grasp what things you can do to help just protect yourself one phone call, right, if you implement some maybe some suggestions, either from us or from the representative you speak with that could save you um, time and money in the long run. So i definitely recommend just taking some time, becoming familiar with what you are already, already have in front of you and and, and avoid the the, the the slips that a lot of businesses unfortunately fall into that keep them from being able to process. Well, thank you for your time, Ryan. Appreciate being able to come on and um, we would be happy to give you any other feedback or Resources that investors might request. So I appreciate your time.
0: All right. If you guys have questions about this episode in particular, just go ahead and, and uh, you can text them to us or you know message them to us or wherever you find this uh, podcast, and we will make sure to get Tyler on again if we need to. Thanks again, Tyler. Bye.
1: Okay. Thanks. Friend. Bye. <laughs>